When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. When life throws trials, tribulations, some curveballs, and even the occasional wick-googly, right? Where do we typically turn? Turn to family. It's wonderful to see all of you guys this morning, wonderful to see both services coming together. This gives us an opportunity right, to be one church, to worship together, to see each other face to face. How many of you have actually seen someone you haven't seen in a long time just in the service? It's great. We get to share with each other. We get to worship together. We get to be a family together. Lately, we've been walking through Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount, right? Last week, Chris went over the golden rule, treat people the way you want to be treated. The golden rule reveals the heart of God. It shows us exactly how God's heart longs for us to live and act. It's a simple statement, right? pretty self-explanatory, but it's revealing what love really is and what life in a perfect world could be like. It tells believers, it tells Christians that they are to live, as the rule indicates, while still on this earth. Today we're going to be talking about some gates, okay? We're going to be talking about some teachers, and we're going to be talking about some fruits. So if you have your favorite fruit, you know, we'll talk about that later. But let's start. We're going to be in chapter 7 of Matthew. We're going to start in verses 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Okay, so I'm going to need some help, okay? So all the kids, I need help from the kids. And from the bigger kids, I need help from three of you guys. So why don't the three come up? Kids, come on up. Any kids, all kids, small kids, big kids, little kids, short kids, purple kids, blue kids. Hi, kid. Okay. So, you guys are going to help me out. Okay. Okay, wow. Look at all these kids. This is fantastic. Okay, so we're going to play a game. Okay, you ready for this? Yeah, a game, a game. It's going to be a good game. Okay, so we are going to have two gates. Okay, count them. One, two. Do we, do we need to have like a, just a moment so we can wave at everybody? Hello. Hi, everybody. Yeah, see? Perfect. <laughs> this is a fun game. I know. You should be up here next week. Okay. So we need two. Okay. We're going to have two gates, right? Okay. We're going to have a big gate. And then we're going to have a small gate. We're going to have the big gate over here. So big gators go over there. You're a small gator? No, I'm a big gator. You're a big gator. Okay, so why don't you guys get down there on the other side? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay, and then we're going to have the other gate on that side. Okay, so here's the deal. Other gate. You guys are going to go through a gate, okay? You pick a gate, and then go through that gate as many times as you possibly can. Okay, but there are some rules. One, don't hurt the gate, okay? 
Two, don't hurt each other. Three, don't hurt me. I bruise like a peach. Okay? So, I already have, yes, thank you. I have a bruise, I have a bruise on my head. I do. I do. Okay, so, why don't our gates take their positions? Take your positions, gate, make the gate. Okay, ready? Okay, so here we go. So here's a gate over here. Here's a gate right here. Okay. I, I know, that's the point. That's the point. It's a tiny gate. That's the point. Okay. So remember, you want to go through the gate as many times as you possibly can without hurting each other or the gate. What? Why is that a bad thing? Okay. Ready? Steady. Go. Go through the gate as many times as you can. What? Hey, you know, you're going to have to figure it out. Go through the gate as many times as you can. Keep going through the gates. Go, go, go through the gates. Perfect. What? Okay. I, did you shower? Okay. Okay, okay, okay. And stop. Okay, so how, did you guys count how many times you went through the gate? No. Who went through the gate? You went through the gate 20 times. Perfect. Your uncle must be... Kirk Mitchell, I bet. Okay. You got through 10 times. Okay. I got through Which gate was it really easy to go through? The big gate. Perfect. You guys proved my point exceptionally well. Okay. So let's give these kids a great hand. They are wonderful. Thank you so much. Why don't you guys go ahead and take a seat? <laughs> Wonderful, wonderful. So not only did we have some gates, we also had some stunts that were happening over here. I don't know if you guys were able to see that. Uh, but just like everything else in life, right, there are decisions that need to be made. Just like our illustration, there were two gates. Right? We had this one way over here, really big and easy to find. And we had this one that really blended in nicely with the kids. But it was a gate nonetheless. So, and honestly, we usually only face one gate, don't we? We don't typically face two gates. It's not like we have a gate here and then a gate here. No, we have this nice, big, easy gate that's just standing right over here. And then this other gate that we have to turn and find. We have to seek it. We have to search out that small gate. The big gate is easy to get into. Typically, we don't even have to think about it. We just take a step. And we're already in there. It's quick, it's quick to navigate, easy to follow, and boy, does it have a lot of amazing things to offer. So those of you that love the show Seinfeld, remember that episode where Kramer does the Adopt-A-Highway, right? Adopt-A-Mile. And he wanted his highway to be luxurious and spacious. So what he does is he takes some black paint and turns an eight-lane highway into a four-lane highway. Right? Just paints right over those lines, and suddenly we now have all of these cars. They're supposed to be driving down the highway in four lanes. Now, suddenly they're in two. Think of the confusion, the calamity that that causes, and the chaos that that brings just for that one mile. It's amazing. The narrow gate, just like in our example, he's got to be found, right? We got to find where that little guy is. 
But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Find it. Look for it. Seek it out. Narrow, the narrow road is not readily seen. The small gate is not readily apparent because, like we said, right, it's facing in the complete opposite direction. We have to search by turning. Turn from the world and seek out the gate. And not only that, but the gate is difficult to enter. No one even tried to enter the gate, but he was to keep his legs closed, right? So that would make it a little bit harder for the kids to get in there. We didn't have to do that. We also told the gate not to hurt the kids, too. So, uh, so safety first. And not only that, right? Oh, sorry. But recall the story of the rich young ruler. In Luke 18, a certain ruler comes up to Jesus and asks, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not uh, give false testimony. And honor your father as your mother. Did you hear that, kids? All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Uh, when the young man heard this, he became very sad. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? Instead, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle for someone to enter the kingdom of God. The point is striking, and it's forceful. The way to eternal life is very specific, and only a few will choose it. There truly is not a choice, right? Because there's only one way. The way is Jesus Christ. In John 14, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And again, in Acts in, uh, chapter 4, salvation is found in no one else, for there, uh, there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which he must be saved. The way is narrow, it's hard, and it's difficult. Christianity is not an easy way out, nor is it the ultimate solution to all of life's problems. It requires a continued effort and commitment and daily decision to turn from the world and to fervently search for the small gate and the narrow road. The narrow road itself means that we must watch our lives closely and continually examine and change. That is the beauty of the gospel, isn't it? Come as you are, change to be like Christ. We must be diligent and careful while on the narrow road. Pay close attention to what's, what's ahead of us. I'm sure some of you have heard of the Hana Highway, right, in Maui. It's beautiful, wonderful, and the many turns and curves that are on the Hana Highway. I'm sure some of you have even been on the Hana Highway. So, but for those who don't know, right, the Hana Highway, it's on the island of Maui. It's pretty windy, so windy that it actually has 620 curbs, turns, corners, in only 64 miles. But to give you an idea of how crazy this road actually is, the, the town of Kalahuli, which is to the west, is actually only 52 miles away from Hana. But the road itself is 64.4 miles, meaning that almost 25% of the road is turns, is corners, right? Be diligent. But for those that have been to Maui, I would actually argue that the Hana Highway is not the craziest road in all of Maui. There's another road just on the other side of the island, on the, on the west side of the island, called the Kala 
butchering this. So if you know, <laughs> you know, Hawaiian, I, I really apologize. But the Kala Kahikili, Kahikili, we're just going to call it that, Kahikili Highway, uh, is just as curvy. But on the Hana Highway, they have a, this wonderful thing called the center line, right, the dividing line. On this road, there is no dividing line. So it's shorter, curvier in comparison to the Hana Highway. And dangerousroads.org, yes, there is a dangerousroads.org website, and I'm sure they even have a, an app, actually says this. The Kalakili Highway is a strip of one, pave, of one lane paved road framed by rock on the other side and sheer cliff drops on the other. With a length of 20 miles, it's a legendary road known for its snaky turns, narrow paths, passages, and dangerous road conditions. It's not for sissies. That's a quote. <laughs> and shouldn't be attempted by novice drivers. There is little room for error on this road. It is mainly a narrow, curvy, cliff-hugging, one-laid road without guardrails. Guard it's more like a goat trail. Okay. For those of you that have driven on this road, firstly, congratulations for surviving that. <laughs> Secondly, and I think you would agree with me, never have I concentrated so hard on driving in my life than when I was driving on that road. And never have I been so excited to see a middle dividing line on the road than after we were done with that. It was scary. It was hard. Marvin and Mary and Amanda loved it because they weren't driving. They were just looking off and seeing the beauty, right? It was, it, and it was beautiful, but I had no opportunity to, to experience that. So the road is narrow, and sometimes the road itself is a goat trail. Family, it's so vitally important that we're talking about this. Not because there are two gates, but really because there is one gate. And only one of those gates leads to God. We should teach our kids that there is truth, that subjectivity and relativism is self-defeating. There is truth. And why wouldn't we want to tell our friends, our family, the truth that we have found? Instead of leaving our children to fend for themselves in a world full of wolves, we should teach that Christ is the way, the truth, and the light. The road is windy and narrow. Let's not stray or be distracted. And amazingly enough, speaking of wolves, in the very next part of, this, of the passage, uh, we, we're actually going to talk about some wolves here. We're going to talk about some false teachers. So let's go back. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So Jesus calls out three things specifically here in this passage. First, that false teachers are present. They are here. They're among us. Secondly, that the way to, to spot and identify a false teacher is by their outward appearance, right? Uh, but their inward kind of view of, on life. They are wolves. And finally, their nature is truly revealed by the fruits that they bear. So let's take each of these in turn, starting with the first statement that Jesus makes. False prophets are present. They're among us, and Jesus provides two proclamations about that. First, Christ says, watch out. And it's not just, oh, watch out. It's, watch out! 
because they're here. The words mean to take heed, to guard yourselves, to beware and keep yourselves. They're emphatic. It's clear. The warning is clear. Secondly, Christ warns us that one of the major things uh, to keep us from actually seeking the narrow gate are these false teachers. In 2 Timothy, for the time will come when people will, uh, will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their eyes from the truth and turn aside to myths. Does that sound familiar? Does that hit kind of close to home? So they are among us, and they have a specific appearance. The chief trait of a false prophet is that they come to us in sheep's clothing. Right? And what does that really mean? Outwardly, they actually appear like a minister. They appear like a teacher. They appear as Christians. They profess. They behave. They call and position their message as one would actually expect. They seem to be messengers of light. They start out as excellent examples of society, but they lack two things, a life and a testimony changed by the Word of God. In 2 Corinthians, for, uh, for such people are false prophets, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ, and no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then that if his servants also... Uh, it's not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. Secondly, teachers or false teachers secretly and deceivingly preach heresies. They proclaim justice. They proclaim morality, righteousness, and good. They teach mental and emotional and even physical strength. All the high ideals and commendable ideas of man. But they never preach the true gospel of the living God. In 2 Peter, but there were also false prophets among you, just as there were also false teachers among you. They secretly introduced destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. And then in Galatians, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. And then in 1 Corinthians, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. And then in 1 John, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see what they are for, that they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world, this is how you recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and form, is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. We have seen that false prophets and false teachers are among us, and we see that their inner, and what their inner character is truly like. So let's talk how we might be able to tell even more. Another way, let's talk about some fruits, shall we? So thorn bushes, oh, I'm sorry, how can we tell a person is false? There is really one revealing mark. The fruit they gather. A false teacher is known by the fruit they eat. What are we consuming? What are we putting into our lives? And they are known by what we feed to others. And what are we teaching? What are we saying? What is coming out of our lives? If they need to feed themselves, 
if they feed themselves on thorn bushes and thistles and not on grapes and figs, this is one way to tell. If they are feeding others uh, thorn bushes and thistles instead of grapes and figs, it's another way. So thorn bushes and thistles are false food. They're worldliness. Grapes and figs are the fruit of life. There is only one true food for the soul of man, the Word of God. We as Christians must feed upon the truth, and we must feed the same to others. Any other source of their teachings or our teachings is false. Jesus goes on in verse 17 of Matthew, Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. So a tree is not judged by a single piece of fruit here and there, right? but it's judged by the fruit that is consistently being born. Every tree will produce some bad fruit. I hate to say it, but it's true. Well, uh, we all have some sort of misunderstanding. Right? We'll have some sort of fallout, whatever, whatever it might be. But we still are going to continue to learn and grow in each day of our life. A tree is not rejected unless it leans toward bearing bad fruit. The teacher is tested, examined, and observed, not by a single axe here and there, but by the tenor of their life leans. In 1 Corinthians, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are, bearing, are being saved, it is the power of God. And then in Philippians, for as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. And then in Romans, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the fleshly desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. There is change. There's power in Christ. There's power in changed lives. The word is not something that we can read and then not be changed. If we truly seek, we will find the truth. Yeah, the road is narrow and the gate is hard to find, but those who journey down the path will be changed. If a teacher or a preacher or a Christian or any of us is not changed by the word, Family, we need to turn the other way. I'm sure some of you are probably questioning, how can Christ call a, man's cor uh, a man corrupt who does, who does good in the eyes of the world? How can Christ say someone's fruit, their good works are evil? How can preaching strong character, moral justice, feeding and clothing and caring for and looking after the physical and emotional well-beings of others be wrong? It's not wrong in action. Christ is not saying social justice and welfare are wrong. What is evil and what is wrong is concentrating only upon the social justice and welfare. Man does not live on bread alone, not by the physical only, but on the every word that comes from the mouth of God. A prophet who only preaches and takes care of the physical and our mental needs is only preaching half-truths. They preach and teach mental health in spiritual terms, but they lull people to sleep spiritually. They lead others into thinking 
they are in good standing with God. But this is not the teaching of the Word. They are not acceptable to God when only their physical and mental needs are, are ministered to, regardless of the spiritual terminology that they use. They must have their spiritual needs met and be kept right with God. False prophets are enemies of the cross. We must remember this. Thus, Christ says that they are corrupt. Today, we have so many choices that are out there. We have so many churches that we could choose from, so many teachings that we have access to, information. We have the opportunity really to hear any form of the gospel that we want to hear, even within our own city, even within two miles of this place. We have that opportunity. We can go anywhere, and we can feel comfortable where within our own spirituality. We have our physical and mental health uh, and our mental needs met. You know, we, we walk out feeling like things are pretty good, that I'm pretty good. That's not bad in its own, of its own self, but it is our spiritual health that is far more important than any of those needs. Emphasizing grace and faith and minimizing behavior or change is not acceptable. This world is temporal. Our spirits are eternal. I get the idea that we constantly are looking for the perfect church. Well, let me break it to you. There is no perfect church. There is no perfect individual. There might be churches out there with the overly dynamic speaker, and I'll apologize right now that I'm not he. Uh, there are churches out there that have amazing music. There are churches out there that don't have political games that are being played. There are churches out there where at youth group you can get an iPad. You can get a hoverboard. We get fooled. We get on end to this. Right? We are enticed and deceived by all the teachers that make the world sound great and wonderful, even with that spiritual vernacular, full of life and rewards, yet it's all fleeting. Christ was not overly concerned about our physical or mental well-being as he is with the state of our spiritual being. Last week, a couple weeks ago, Jason mentioned that worrying is pointless. Look how the lilies of the valley are clothed and how the birds are fed. And for some, look at how luxurious some of our pets actually live. Why are we worrying about tomorrow? Christ came to save the spirit. Don't get me wrong. God does truly care about us intimately. He knows the hairs on our head, and for some that's a little bit more difficult than others. Uh, I think we're at 12 at the moment. But the point remains, right? False teachers and prophets, they're convincing. And they're here, and they are abundant. Family, like I said, the church is by no means perfect, but it is important for us to find a Bible-believing, gospel-focused church to plant our feet in. Not only is it good for others, but it's good for us. It's good for the individual. Getting involved in, in a church builds community, builds believers. It builds a family that has the same purpose, a common goal, and a common focus, which is Christ. It's a beautiful thing, an amazing thing that the Spirit will move through and work in as we, contri as we contribute uh, as we contribute, instead of being consumers, through God, we can do amazing things for our community. If we're jumping around from church to church, that community simply cannot happen. 
So why don't we stop it with all of this McChurch stuff? Right? Plant yourself. Get involved. Build relationships with our imperfect people. Know who God is and be the change and be changed by his spirit. False teachers, false prophets, they're out there. They entice to a lovely stroll down the wide gate and the wide road. I think we can all think of times that we have encountered false teachers, those trying to spread a corrupt gospel. And frankly, after a couple of millennia, counterfeits are plentiful. But let's end on one story right? that was a little bit closer to the original. Simon the Sorcerer, right, in Acts chapter 8, and I'll start reading there in, in verse 9. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in, his, in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and, ex and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, and, his pro and he proclaimed the good news of, of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers uh, that, uh, that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given to, uh, at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability to, so that anyone whom I lay my hands on will receive the Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord, and hope that he may forgive you. Then Simon answered, pray, pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said will happen to me. Church, we're a family. Sure, the way of the world is a lot easier, it's a lot more convenient, and it's just right there. But we are called to be so much more. We are called to be conquerors. Let's be. If you're looking to know who Christ is, to call him your savior, or if you just want to plant your feet here at first, or if you just simply need prayer, I encourage you, find me, find Jimmy, find Tim. Find our prayer team that's going to be standing at the back. Don't let this opportunity pass. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you so much for, for your word. We thank you so much for your truth. Father, there's so many <laughs> things out there that we can be distracted with. TV, internet, activities, whatever it happens to be, we can so quickly lose sight of, of you. Father, we thank you for the changing power that you
that you have to change lives, to change communities, to change fellowships, to change countries. It's amazing. Father, we just ask that we continually seek, that we continually turn, that we continually strive to reach for you. Be with us. Shine in us. It's your name I pray.